Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. I am your host, Kirk Ludicky, and it is great to be with you today. We appreciate you joining us. Before we get going with our guest, I want to remind you to go to HockeyJournal.com, become a subscriber, get access to our premium content. We're covering hockey at all levels in New England and outside of the region as well. So we'd love to have you. Remember that the podcasts are free. You can download at Apple, Spotify, our website, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is Dartmouth assistant coach Troy Thibodeau from Danvers. Troy and I go back to our time together in the USHL, and he's got a really intriguing story to tell that's off the beaten path. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Troy Thibodeau. First, official games are in the books. How does it feel to now be an official assistant coach at the D1 college hockey level? Yeah, you know what? It, it, it feels... Um... It feels great. Didn't really think too much about it until you just asked me. I was more um, feeling excited uh, for our guys who we had 16 kids playing their first college hockey game the other night uh, because our sophomores had never didn't play a game last year and everyone else on our team lost a year of hockey. So it had been a long time since they had stepped on the ice and put a, a uniform on. So I was lucky enough last year to be in the USHL and play a normal season. So for me, it was just another year starting up. But um, yeah, really excited for our guys to get back on the ice and new program, new staff, and it's exciting time for Dartmouth hockey. And, um, yeah, I couldn't be happier with, with where I'm at right now. That, um, you know, being a college assistant. Yeah, that's a great point you, you bring up that is just a lot of us sometimes, especially those of us that, that had the privilege of being involved in hockey a year ago, we, we just take it for granted, but, but the situation your players, many of your players were in where this was absolutely new to them and, and just going through what they had to go through, especially the guys that were on the team before and, and didn't have a season. It's, it's just gotta be a weight off of their shoulders and, and, and getting some normalcy back, I would guess. Yeah, no question. I've heard the, I've heard how everything was set up last year with, you know, the, the little small groups that they could be in when they were given the opportunity to get on the ice and knowing there weren't games being played, um, you know, I give them a lot of credit for getting on the ice every day and working as hard as our staff here told us that they did last year. Um, that must have been hard knowing you weren't preparing for a game um, and getting on the ice and trying to work on your own game with there not being a, you know, a clear end goal to all this stuff. So um, and then again, on the other side, we tried to tell our guys in Tri-City that as well. Like, hey, we're pretty lucky we get to get to the rink every day. So if we had lost a couple in a row or our guys seemed down or didn't seem excited to be at the rink, we tried to um, you know, just portray to them how fortunate they were to, to get to the rink every day and jump on the ice. So, um, but yeah, it's an exciting time here. Well, that's where we have our history, Troy. Uh, yeah. You know, Tri-City for you and Omaha for me, and, and we will get to that. Uh, but before cool. we do, let's, let's let the listeners kind of know a little bit about your background. We know you're a Danvers guy, uh, but, but talk to us about your, your minor hockey, your background, how, how you developed your love for the sport, and maybe who some, who some of the mentors and coaches were uh, who really shaped your early development and, and, and helped you get to where you are. Um, yeah, I mean, it's my path has been um, probably one less traveled, I guess. Um, a lot of guys that are coaches now had an idea, whether they were younger, when they played, or uh, that they'd want to get into it. Um, I'm kind of the complete opposite. And even with the game of hockey, I was more of a, 
a sports fan in general. Uh, when I grew up, I, I played very little video games. Um, I was outside all the time. I played every sport imaginable until I had to pick three getting into high school. So um, I, growing up, I just loved competition. I loved being on a team. I loved competing with my teammates and playing in games. I didn't necessarily love, and it's interesting now that I'm on the coaching side, but I didn't love the day-to-day. I didn't love the off-season training and practicing. I, I loved playing games. And so um, I played as many sports as I possibly could growing up. Hockey obviously just was one of them, but um, I was lucky enough being from Danvers um, and Ray Bork being at the end of his time with the Bruins and going into Colorado um, got linked up with my dad and uh, they kind of got talking and they were starting up a program, Top Gun Hockey out of uh, Salem, New Hampshire, uh, Peter Ferriero and, and Chris, uh, Steve Casper actually was um, the head coach at the time and Ray had helped out. So we we're pretty fortunate enough to be part of that coaching staff. And, um, you know, I, I learned a ton with those guys, but even then, I mean, like I said, when, when the hockey season would end, I put my skates away, I'd pick up my baseball bat, my golf clubs, a soccer ball, football pads. I mean, I played it all growing up and, um, you know, obviously I'm a big fan of the not specializing so early in a, in a particular sport, but as I got older, it probably could have helped me. Um, I wasn't a very good hockey player as it is, but I probably could have maximized my potential a little more if I, um, specialized a little more, but like I said, even high school and, and into prep school and into college, even I, I, the last game of the season ended, I put my skates away and I didn't really touch them. Um, so a college coach doesn't probably want to hear that, but, um, I played baseball in the summers. I worked in the summers. I played a lot of golf. I worked at a golf course and just like being out and about and, and competing. And, and, um, so I was lucky enough to play baseball in college as well. And we had a, um, a great program up to Southern Maine and, made it to two college world series. So that was a great experience. And again, I just loved competing and um, you know, that's kind of the biggest uh, we can get into that, but just the biggest thing that that pulled me back into to hockey in general here as yeah. far as coaching goes. Certainly some things to unpack there. First of all, Ray Bork <laughs> on the ice with you yeah. and Steve Casper. How, how cool was yeah. that? Talk about uh, what that meant to you at, at the time and, and, and whether did you realize just what, you know, you were in the presence of one of the the game's all time greats, and and what did uh, what did you learn from from guys like Ray Bork and Steve Casper? Yeah, you know what? It's uh, I probably didn't appreciate it as much as I should have at a young age. I mean, I was that was like nine through thirteen or whatever it was that I was playing, um, and you're wrapped up just running around with your buddies playing mini hockey and like that. So I probably didn't pull as much out of those guys as I probably should have. But, um, you know, obviously everywhere you went, every rink we went to, you can kind of see what a big deal those guys were. And uh, Ray at the time took a year off, obviously, to go out to Colorado and did what he did there. So um, I was very close with Ryan um, back in those days. So um, it became kind of normal being around him all the time, to be honest with you. And uh, it was funny. I was talking to my dad the other day, just to the craziness in, in youth hockey now. And I asked him, I said, was it was it like that when I was playing? And were parents kind of like that? And he said, yeah, I mean, it was, but no one was ever challenging the coaches. If you're a parent trying to challenge Ray Bork or, or Steve Casper, who was a, you know, ex Bruins head coach, then, um, you know, you were in the wrong automatically. So, um, pr- very lucky there, obviously, um, great experiences growing up playing and, and, you know, obviously I appreciate a ton of what my parents went through now that I've been out scouting and, and watching these events from, from the other side of things. It's kind of crazy to me how, these parents can do it and uh, the travel that's involved, the money that's involved. 
um, and putting their own personal careers aside for their kids. Um, something I wish I had thanked my dad for more and my mom more when I was that age, but, uh, you appreciate it a lot more as you get older, but yeah, an unbelievable experience playing for those guys. And, um, yeah, like I said, I wish I pulled more out of it than I did, but I was just kind of being a, a young kid running around playing hockey and, and enjoying it. So. And that's the thing. I mean, you're, you're a kid and when you're a kid, you don't know what you don't, what you don't know. But, but at the same time, I, I was intrigued by what you, when you were talking about how many sports you played and in the importance of, of being a multi-sport athlete and how that shaped and, and, and developed you and, and provided you with experiences that some of the, the hockey players that maybe specialize at a younger age don't, aren't going to get. They're just not going to have that perspective. They're not going to know what they don't know. So just kind of in looking back at your own experiences playing so many sports and just being an active guy and, and and not someone that was as you said playing video games and you know there wasn't snapchat back then and you weren't you know you weren't mm-hmm. doing social media or anything like that yeah. what if you were going to give guidance or, or advice or recommendations to parents of younger players uh, if you were going to do that, what would you, what would you tell them just based on your own experiences and then the way your perspective has changed over the years as you've watched high level hockey players develop? Yeah. I mean, for me, some of the best hockey players I've been around are, are, are very good athletes, whether it's they played baseball growing up or they're good golfers. Um, so for me, I, I probably wouldn't have changed a whole lot until I really started to get older and probably should have specialized a little more as I got to 15, 16, 17. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as playing different sports, um, I think it puts you in different settings as far as what each sport and being part of a team in each sport um, puts you into different spots as far as overcoming adversity. And it's different in hockey than it is. I played football, believe it or not, and, and basketball and um, I was a golfer. So you just that mind game of the individual sport um, as well, but just being an overall rounded athlete, um, hand-eye coordination, balance, um, you know, agility, things like that, that if you just jump on skates at 12 months a year, you don't really get that. Uh, you don't get that hand-eye coordination I got when I played baseball and you don't get the footwork I got when I played soccer. And um, like I said, I probably could have maximized hockey more if I stuck more to it as I got older, but Again, when that season ended, I was just ready for the next season and do something different and jump uh, on the baseball diamond there on the golf course. Um, but yeah, I think it's seeing it now and, and it's, I see some of these guys and especially being in the USHL, you're watching a lot of U15 hockey, as you know, Kirky. And um, the fact that these kids are playing hockey 12 months a year and the wear and tear it takes on their body and their hips and um, you know, just their love for the game. For me, when I put those skates down, when it was time to put them back on, like I had a, I was rejuvenated, you know, I was excited. Um, right now you've got kids that have been playing summer hockey all summer for 15 different showcase teams and traveling. And now they're getting ready for their prep school season or their junior hockey season. And they're like almost taking a couple weeks off now to recover before their season starts. And, um, for me, uh, this time of year, they should be 100 percent, uh, you know, physically and, and, and in the best shape they can be leading into a season. And I feel like there's wear and tear from all this summer stuff. So uh, that's a whole nother topic. Uh, we can go down that road at, at some point, too. But, um, yeah, doing as much as you can early, I really think it benefits. And people say it all the time, but it's true. It's uh, being athletic and being able to do, uh, you know, different different things on different teams, go through different, um, you know, adversity in different sports is 
um, it, it benefits you a lot, you know, and, um, but obviously then you got to choose something as you get older and, and, uh, but yeah, that's kind of my take on that whole thing. Oh, okay. So that's, it's great. It's great perspective. And so let's, let's go back a little bit and talk about your time at, at Southern Maine, D three hockey. And you talked about, you know, having a chance to play, to ba- play baseball there as well. Just what you were a prep player and how did that prepare you for, for what you faced in terms of the the level of hockey and, and, and being a college hockey player, did you feel like you were adequately ready for, for what awaited you when you became a student athlete at the collegiate level? Yeah. Um, again, I'll be honest with you. I was extremely naive growing up, um, maybe even a little immature, I guess, in my high school years. I, I, I didn't, my group of friends weren't hockey players, really. My dad never played. Um, you know, I had that great experience growing up playing youth hockey. But again, I was just kind of a kid that, love to compete and love to play sports. And uh, I, I, I honestly was such a late bloomer. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I wasn't even five feet tall yet. And I was about 90 pounds and didn't even hit puberty really until I was a junior. So hockey wasn't even in, in question for me because I was so small. Um, but I started growing. And, and as I grew, my, my game of hockey got a little bit better. So that kind of opened up more opportunities for me as far as prep school go. But I didn't even know really what the USHL was all about or, or other junior opportunities uh, back in the day was the EJ. But so I just figured, okay, I'll just, you know, go to prep school for a year, you know, work on my academics a little bit too. And, and just, uh, you know, see if I can go play college hockey somewhere. It, it's, I was so naive. And um, like I said, it was something I didn't even realize how to work, how to work out, how to train, um, how to work at my own game. I just kind of showed up when I was supposed to show up, played in the games, uh, was always just kind of a natural leader. Um, again, just because I was very competitive and I think I could pull guys in that direction. But um, as far as just um, my my route and why I took it, there wasn't a whole lot of rhyme or reason. I wish I could say there was. But um, yeah, prep school hockey obviously was a big jump from public um, Massachusetts hockey. But even then it was, um, you know, going to Southern Maine, getting the opportunity. I kind of walked onto the baseball team um, and was lucky enough to make that my freshman year and then um, kind of took off with that and played for a, a legendary coach and, and Ed Flaherty, who's still there to this day, over a thousand wins and won two national titles. And um, that was an unbelievable experience for me as far as being part of a winning culture and how to cultivate that and how accountable he was on us. And um, But yeah, and then from the hockey side, it was a totally different beast, um, different personalities, different players, different staff. Um, so got the best of both worlds in, in college and really enjoyed my time there. It's my best friends to this day. I, I played with both baseball and hockey and um, but yeah, that, that prep school year, obviously I, I played baseball there as well. And that was probably what jump started me to, to walk onto that team. But yeah, as far as uh, you know, I probably after that could have went and played junior hockey somewhere and maybe potentially aged out and, and gotten a division one opportunity. But again, I was so naive and just, yeah, I'll just go to college and play there. And uh so it's kind of funny looking back on it now, but uh, I can't say I changed anything because I don't know if I'm here today if I if I didn't go that route from the connections I made. So yeah, that's a great point. The only thing I'll I'll say too is is that we as as a society are, are, are conditioned uh, to be in college at eighteen, nineteen. 
And so that, that paradigm has shifted a bit, with especially with college hockey players where schools are taking guys in later and later, older and older. Yeah. The college hockey's gotten older, as you well know. And so, you know, for the parents and the players, just, just a perspective is it's not the end of the world if you don't have a commitment at 18, 19. Many of the commitments typically have, correct me if I'm wrong, but many of the commitments happen at the D1 level when, the, when a player's 19 or 20. More of those happen than, you know, as opposed to, you know, 16, 17. And, and so it's just a, it's a process. And if you're, if you're dedicated and you're focused on the process, you can, you can get there. You just, it's going to take patience and you have to break yourself of that notion that you're failing or you're behind the power curve if you're not in college at 18. Yeah. And there's such a disparity now. Like I said, when I was a freshman, I was barely five feet tall. And, um, you know, I had buddies of mine that had beards and, uh, yeah. you know, that were five ten, and that's just the way it is at that age. Some, and, and for me to potentially go in somewhere as an 18 year old freshman was, was not even in the, in question. So if that division one opportunity did open up itself for me, if I, if I applied myself in a different way, it definitely would have been at the, at the 20 year old. And, and even then, I don't know if it would have happened to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I mean, everyone's got a different path and it's hard to explain that now with Twitter and everyone putting their commitment on Twitter and all that stuff. It's hard to not get wrapped up in it and for kids not to get that FOMO and, and want to jump to something. But uh, it's something I, I, you know, reiterated with our guys in Tri-City and, and I'll even do now when I talk to kids. So hey, we, don't jump at this just because you want to put it on Twitter. This has to be right. It'd be right for your family. You got to come see our school and make sure this is the right fit for you because uh, especially for us at Dartmouth, we're building a program here. If you don't truly want to be here, uh, and you're not bought into what we're doing and you see yourself here, it's not, not going to work and we can't, we can't afford to make those mistakes. So um, yeah, I think that's uh, those are great points that you brought up. Uh, amen to that. You have to want to be there. I mean, if you've had, if you're, if you're looking for the next thing, you've got one foot out the door and it's probably not the right fit, you know, not only for the player, but, but for the team as well, you guys yeah, have your absolutely. mission, right? So awesome. So uh, tell us about how you, were able to get into coaching because it's kind of an interesting, you, you, you said at the beginning, you teased it and you said you never really envisioned yourself being a coach. So how did you make that transition and, and tell us about some of those early jobs and opportunities that allowed yeah. you to, to, to spring forth into what you're doing now? Yeah. So going back to college a little bit, like I said, I was just kind of a naive kid, just going through playing two sports and never really put a lot of thought into what am I going to do when I'm done here? And uh, come like sophomore, junior year, I really had to start thinking about that. And um, I was always a pretty active kid. So exercise science seemed like a, a major and a route for me to go down that could potentially keep me in sports. Um, I had the, you know, kind of the um, mindset of, of do, going down that road and getting into strength and conditioning and, and hopefully one day working with hockey players to stay in hockey somehow or working with athletes. So I did that. And, um, I graduated from Southern Maine in 2014. I went down to university of Florida and I did a strength and conditioning internship with the Gators for the summer, working with their football team and, um, unbelievable experience. And then right after that, did another volunteer internship out at the university of Denver. And I believe it was Jim Montgomery's second year. David Carl was an assistant coach and, um, same thing though. I was doing strength and conditioning. So you're there at five in the morning, you're there till six 30 at night working with every team that comes through. Um, but that was where I really started to realize maybe this isn't what I want to do. Um, and I was around the hockey team more, the hockey staff more. And I'm like, you know, maybe there's a chance for me to get into this thing. And so I had to break the news to my, uh, the strength and conditioning coach about two months into my internship that, Hey, I just want to let you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to pursue this. And 
I, I'm going to finish that might finish my job here and do everything I can here, but I might go down the road and start to coach. And, uh, I was lucky enough to have an assistant at Southern Maine, Jay Pacora, who is the head coach at Wentworth Institute of Technology still is there. And one of my you know best friends to this day, one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. And, uh, he just said, Hey, if you want to coach, come back. It was around Thanksgiving time because you can jump in with our team, you know, and, uh, finish the year. If, if you like what you're doing and you like, uh, we can try to move you on and we'll see if go from there. So I loved it and um, kind of hit the ground running. And one thing led to another, I got in touch with Mark Dennehy, sat down. I know you just had him on and um, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. And I tell him that all the time, every step that I take um, started with him, unbelievable human being gave me a chance to come in as a volunteer video guy with him and Curtis Carr and Bill Gilligan over at Merrimack for a year. And uh, that was a, an eye-opening year for me, seeing how much I needed to learn and um, how behind the eight ball I was with my knowledge of the game and recruiting. And so that was incredible for them to kind of let me in on on their staff and everything else. So that kind of got the ball rolling. And at that point, you know, spending a lot of time with that staff, I knew that this was something I really truly wanted to do. So I devoted all my time to it. I was running skills on the side to make some money. I was living at home. Uh, you know, I was working for a company, um, the program um, with Eric Kapitulik and um, pretty in- incredible opportunity to work with those guys and be around in, in you know, um, leaders and, and, and ex-Marines and things like that. So what an opportunity that was. That year was incredible for me. And that kind of changed my life, changed my mindset. I matured a lot. Um, and then that led to me getting in touch with Norm Bazin when um, the hockey ops job at UMass Lowell became available Um, I was told early on in my coaching career to just surround yourself with the best people that you can, regardless of the money, regardless of the position. Um, And so that's what I did. And so I got around Mark Dennehy and that led to Norm Bazin, Um, you know, hockey ops, you can't coach, you can't recruit, which was a bummer. But I was around that staff every day with Andy Jones and Cam Ellsworth and Norm Bazin. In those two years, uh, we had a really good team. My first year, a goal away from the Frozen Four. Um, I did all the video, all the travel. Uh, I did some recruiting work just by watching video and clipping shifts. And um, again, just every year I got more and more, you know, dedicated to this and passionate about this, but I still knew deep down, I, I had a lot to learn. Um, I didn't learn a lot of when I was a player. And so I had a ways to go and I knew that. So um, I, I just kind of let my work do the talking for me. And again, I didn't take jobs for the money and, and I didn't take it for the title really. It was to be around the best people I could. And uh, that second year after Lowell, I was really looking to move on and get into more of a coaching um, role. And and I was told from a young age by uh, Curtis Carr when I first started, he said, if you want to be a coach, get into junior hockey. Um, It's all hockey all the time. You play 60 plus games with preseason, postseason. And it's just you learn how to manage the bench. You learn how to run your own, uh, you know, your own philosophies and and drills and things like that. So um, when I got an opportunity to jump in with Tri-City, Anthony Noreen called me, uh, offered me the job. I didn't even have to hear what the, what the pay was. I took it right away and I knew nothing about Nebraska. I didn't even know where Kearney, Nebraska was. I was dating a girl at the time for like seven, six or seven years. And uh, I told her, Hey, I just took a job in Nebraska. So I think that's where we're going to go next. And so um, you know, kudos to her. She, she jumped in a car with me and we drove out there. And, and again, just the, the next best opportunity. I knew it was the best thing for me and in my development as a coach. And um, yeah, I mean, those three years in Tri-City are, were um, incredible for me. Anthony Noreen as a head coach is um, let you coach, you know, and he doesn't over, he doesn't look over your shoulder. He gave me the power play my first year, which is extremely intimidating 
when you have guys on that unit like Zach Jones and Ronnie Adderd and Shane Pinto, um, it can be pretty intimidating when you've never coached before. You've only done video. So you have an idea of what you want to do, but when it's time to get on the ice and do it, it's pretty overwhelming. And I was probably in over my head at times, but um, kudos to Anthony for letting me work through it because now I get to Dartmouth and, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable in front of a group of guys talking and, and doing video sessions and running my own drills and practice. And it all was because of that. So um, working for Anthony and obviously an assistant coach with Ethan Goldberg, I was able to work for for three years. There is one of the best hockey minds I've ever been around. And um, I learned a lot there. And, you know, when you're living in Nebraska, there's not much else to do than go to the rink every day. So that's what we did. We went to the rink and we were together as a staff and, um, you know, just an unbelievable opportunity there. And, um, you know, obviously again, I just, I just took the next best opportunity that just to be around the best people. And that's kind of led me to, 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 to Dartmouth. New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast will return after this message. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. If you love college hockey and want an inside look at the game, get a copy of the book, Great Game, D1 College Hockey, People, Places, Perspectives. From the emotions of Frozen Fours to the atmosphere and classic venues, Bruce Haas has captured the passion that people have for the college game through interviews with players, coaches, officials, and fans. No other book captures the spirit of college hockey like this does. Great Game makes a great gift for the holidays for a college hockey fan. Score your copy of Great Game today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Atascabooks.com, or at your local bookstore. Because I was kind of chuckling in there as you were talking about, you know, packing up and driving out to Nebraska. And there's so many, yeah. I mean, especially, you know, like you, I grew up in this area and, and the, you know, I mean, Nebraska was a place on a map where there was a lot of corn and, and that was about all I knew about it <laughs> as a kid. And that's yeah. all I wanted to know about it. And then you find yourself there and, you know, it's funny, but the, you know, there's Omaha and there's Lincoln and then there's Kearney, as you said, and, and you know, get on that, you get on that, uh, that highway and you, and you head west and uh three hour drive feels like six hours and 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 you guys you know tri-city was the, the the furthest west team in the ushl so when it came to travel you guys certainly got your fill uh of bus rides and and and, and all i'm I, it's but yeah. so going back though to uh, if, I, if i may just a little bit and just the the experiences and the lessons you learned um so let's start with video coach what were you doing 
um, for Mark Dennehy and Curtis Carr and the staff there? And, and how did that allow you to build uh, what you were able to do then uh, to make that transition to, to being an assistant coach in the, in the USHL? Yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting when I got to Merrimack um, that previously they had had a video guy, but he was just a student and he kind of just worked, showed up at practice and did the games and stuff. And uh, Mark kind of let me do as much as I, as I wanted to. And as I could, obviously it was a volunteer job. So he didn't expect me to be there a lot, but I just kind of committed to it. I did some work on the side and did some stuff on the weekends, but I mean, I was there when the, the staff got in there in the morning and I left when they left in the afternoon. And, and uh, so as far as what I did, I mean, I took, I did all the video. I filmed practice every day. I, I, um, I clipped practice. I went over the video every day after practice with the staff. Um, I would clip uh, recruits shifts down. It's a little different now with Instat, um, but that was a, that was a long process to, to clip up one kid's shifts for our coaches to watch. Um, so having a little bit more appreciation for that, that process, but um, yeah, I mean, it was in-game coding. First time I've ever done it. I'm not like a, a tech guy by any means, but I had to learn it and I uh, learned the video system and uh, did the in-game coding and, um, you know, post-game breakdown. I even got into a little bit of analytics. I knew nothing about analytics, but Mark Dennehy, as you just heard in your podcast, is a very progressive guy. And that was a big topic around that time. And so I did a little bit with the Corsi and stuff like that. And again, it was, uh, I did it all manually. So it probably wasn't the smartest or most efficient way to do things, but um yeah, I mean, that's, that was my day to day. And, um, I was just around that staff every single day and just learned and, and soaked in everything and was just a sponge and spoke when I was, when I thought it was my turn to speak. And, and, uh, as the year went on, I had more and more say in how we wanted to play and, and things like that, but just soaked it all in. Really. I was so green and, and so, um, inexperienced that I knew my role. I, I sat back and I just worked and, and I just watched hockey all the time. And, um, just tried to get better and better at, at learning the game and being around those guys and asking questions. So um, when young guys come up to me now and ask how to get into it, you know, number one thing I say, be around good people and then just soak it in and um, learn as much as you can ask questions. And um, that's what I did. And, and uh, you know, I think that, that that was a huge year for me as far as learning the game. I think things they could do as well, that they just pick up on what you were talking about on the technical aspect, you know, coding, and clipping shifts and all you I mean you you throw these terms around and anyone you know like myself i i didn't know what any of that stuff was until i got to the omaha lancers but once you see it and you see how involved the process it is and 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 what people don't realize uh, that you certainly do but you know when the game ends the fans go home and and yeah they're you know the coaches are doing things after the game the players shower and they and they 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 leave well, the assistant coaches then that's when that's when the work really starts, right? And you get to work, yeah. you know, pulling the game the game film up and you start clipping and getting ready for the next night. Talk about yeah. that that process and how much of an eye opener it, it was for you and, and, and but the, also what it did for you in terms of, of 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 making you so much better at your job in terms of analyzing the game and being able to prepare a game plan. Yeah, it's funny. I was, I woke up this Monday morning and, uh, I was a little cloudy and I, you know, my body wasn't used to the, it was our first game weekend with back-to-back games and, um, you know, Friday nights are late nights and Saturdays are early mornings getting video prepared for the team for Saturday mornings. And, 
Um, so my body wasn't uh, quite used to it. So I was pretty tired Monday morning, but um, also excited because I knew the season was going again. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the process, especially as a video guy. I mean, you're, you're doing the work during the game, but all the work's being done after the game. Um, I'm preparing shifts and individual video for players. Um, you know, we do a, we use bench metrics at, at UMass Lowell and in Tri-City. So that's a scoring chance system that we use that I manually input after every game when I was at Lowell. And that's a process, you know, that takes two to three hours after every game. So you're going to bed in the early hours of the morning and then you're meeting as a staff before your team comes in on Saturday morning. So, you know, at Lowell, it was an eight o'clock staff meeting. And um, when in that staff meeting started, uh, Norm expected to have score and chance stuff done and clips for the game. And, and, and then if you're playing a different opponent that night, we need to be prepared for that opponent too. So that throws another wrinkle in it. Um, you know, that, that just takes extra time and more preparation. And so I learned that, um, you know, firsthand at Lowell and, and Norm is, is an unbelievable human being and worker. And, and, um, but it, it, he pushed me and it was, it was so beneficial for me to be pushed that way. Cause you get him put in uncomfortable situations and maybe you screw up one time, but you don't want to ever do it again. And so you, you'll learn from it um, the hard way, which is great. And I think that's, you know, just in general in life, that's a good way to learn and, and, and grow. Um, and then in Tri-City, like I said, you're in Nebraska. I mean, you want to be at the rink every day, you know, nothing against Nebraska. It seems like we're the, the Nebraska nice is definitely uh you know, uh, it definitely rings true out there. They're amazing people, but you're just at the rink every day. And like I said, I was with Ethan Goldberg, who was so dedicated to his craft and um, another eye opener for me when I got out there. I thought I had a decent idea of what I was doing and talking about. But when I started talking to him and Anthony, I had no idea. So, again, sponge, ask questions, do the video. Um, and but, yeah, that process is long. And for guys that want to get into coaching, um, it's not just showing up to the rink, grabbing a coffee and, and, and going out for practice. There's a lot that goes into it. And um, the grind that I didn't love growing up as a player and just wanted to play games kind of has switched because now that's our job. I love that. Our, our job is Sunday through Thursday. We prepare these guys. We do our work during the week, but Fridays and Saturdays there's, we coach, but it's, it's minimal. You know, it's uh, we're just there. We, the, the, the hay is in the barn and, and we let the guys play. So um, I love that day to day. I love the grind of it. Um, I love every day I get to the office. Now, I don't know if you can see out my window, but I got mountains in the background here, uh, right in the upper valley. And I wear a baseball hat and I walk in here and drink coffee and talk hockey and watch hockey. So um, pretty lucky. And you get paid to do it. There's nothing better, right? Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. So going back to some of the players over the years that you've, you've been around, that you've coached, um, just, just tell us about some of the guys that, that, that you were around that, that, you know, and in, maybe you didn't realize they were going to be players at the time. Maybe you did. Uh, but who are some of the key guys that you've been around that, that have that have gone on to have success or having success? I mean, obviously they're young. We were talking about you You joined Tri-City in, in 2018 was your first first year. You guys won the Anderson Cup that year, your first year with the, with the Storm. Um, you know, you have a guy like Brennan Furry, for example, that you guys traded for. He's near and dear to my heart. He was our captain. He just scored a hat trick the other day against, you know, in, in, in action for Minnesota Mankato. But who were some of the, the players that you that you were around there where you just quickly realized they had the attributes they had the will they had the talent to go far and 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 you probably learned a lot from them maybe more than than they learned from you yeah it's it's um like I said when I was told to get into that league if I ever could 
um, I now know why. I mean, I spent three years there and I was ready to spend another two to three, to be honest with you. I, I loved it there. Um, and the main reason being is you're, you're dealing with 16 to 20 year olds that are the elite of the elite at their age in that league. And every single kid that comes to tri city was probably the best player on their team the year before playing power play, playing penalty kill, playing top line minutes, um, and being praised all the time for it. And then they get out to tri city and they're looking around and, um, they're just another guy. And, And it's an unbelievable, um, opportunity for those kids to go through some adversity um especially in that first year um you talk about some guys that that stick out for me um carter mazer is a kid that um he was uh first overall pick in that phase one draft for the o2 birth years um came in highly touted committed to michigan state at the time um he came in his first year that was my second year in tri-city and I don't know. I think he had six or seven points at Christmas time and played about 20, 25 games. And uh, that's where you're tested in that league. Um, it's it's hard. You're playing even the worst teams in that league have 18 to 20 division one committed kids. And so there's never an easy night time and space on the ice is hard to come by, uh, especially as lighter, you know, thin players that are physically mature. It's a challenge. Um, and I think the guys in that league that I've, dealt with um, that separate themselves and that um, I look back now and see the guys that are having success. Like they truly, truly enjoy that grind every single day. Um, Carter Mazer never worried too much about how many points he had. Uh, never worried about what line he was on. He just showed up. He did what we asked. He was coachable and he worked extremely hard every day at his craft. Um, another kid that comes to mind and we only had him for half a year was Shane Pinto who's making himself a nice little, career now with Ottawa. Um, and if I, if you had asked me if I thought he'd be where he's at right now, three years ago, I I wouldn't believe it. But, um, again, looking back now, he was so intentional with what he worked on every day. You know, our guys were on the ice for 30 to 45 minutes every day after practice on, on crappy ice, um, shooting pucks. And some guys are just kind of shooting pucks and going around doing whatever, but Shane Pinto was very intentional. And you talk about quality over quantity, um, he knew what he wanted to work on. He played the bumper on our power play. So he'd have me walk down the half wall and slide a couple back on his back foot. And he'd snap them inside the post, very specific where he wanted to put the puck. And he would do that all the time. And then he'd want to work on tips and the amount of goals he would score that way were um, a result of his mindset of how he wanted to work on his game. Um, so those are just a couple of guys. And you get a guy like Cole McWard, who is a rare three-year guy in that league, who um, incredible human being. You talk about how your work ethic and staying after practice, that kid did the same things his first year in Tri-City after practice that he did his last day in Tri-City and talk about consistency and being a professional, um, incredible human being. Um, and that's the best part of that league is you're around some elite human beings. Uh, I talked about what I was like at that age. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even been able to picture myself in that environment with these kids and, um, just the day-to-day practice, you know, you're going up against Matthew Nyes every day in practice and Guillaume Richard, who second and third round NHL picks. Um, you, you can't, it's hard not to get better. So, um, incredible, incredible opportunity. Junior hockey is something that, um, I was so lucky to be a part of and just the relationships I was able to build and, and my knowledge as a coach was, um, I wouldn't, no chance I'd be where I'm at today if I didn't get that opportunity. 
So let's, uh, that's, that's all great. Uh, and man, McWard could shoot the puck too, man. Yeah. So many, uh, he killed us so many times with goals. Yeah. Um, it's number. funny. Sorry, Kirk. I'll cut you off real <laughs> no. quick. So, <laughs> Go my good, my good friend. Uh, a good story about Cole McWard. My good friend in college, uh, college roommate David Nyes was an assistant. Obviously, you know in Omaha, and Cole McWard had a, a, a few, to say the least, goals coming down the right flank on our power play and putting it up underneath the bar. And Nyes would always kind of bust my bust my uh, my butt there on, uh, hey, like we always defend, try to defend this kid, but he always finds a way to score. And it was funny because one day of pregame skate, he didn't even have his skates on. He was just out on the ice with a bucket of pucks and he was just snapping pucks from that exact spot. And that was a daily thing for, for Cole. He worked. And so when he'd score in the games, it wasn't like he got lucky that time. That was something he intentionally consistently worked on so that when that opportunity came in the game, which may have happened four or five times a year, he was ready and he was ready to execute. Um, So again, just, an idea of the mindset of those kids and um, and just a good story about, about Cole McWhorter. I can't say enough good things about him. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Yeah. So let's, let's close it out and let's talk about Dartmouth. Um, just what are you, what are you trying to accomplish as a program and, and what do you want from your prospective student athletes who, who are saying to themselves, oh, I'm, I'm interested in Dartmouth. I'd like to go there. I'd like to, to play hockey for that team. What do they, what do they need to do to put themselves in position to, to, to realize that dream? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a really exciting time right now for, for Dartmouth hockey. Um, obviously legendary coach and, and Bob Godette was here for 23 years and, um, you know, paved the way for, for kind of where we're at right now as a program. But, um, you know, at the same time, um, we're excited to, to make our imprint, you know, on this program and we're headed by our head coach, Reed Cashman, um, who anyone in the hockey world, um, and knows his resume, where he's been, NHL, AHL, and then helped build that program at Quinnipiac. And uh, so when I got the opportunity to come here and join that staff, it was an absolute no-brainer, um, knowing the other assistant was Jason Tapp, who obviously wins a national championship with Union and known as a very good recruiter and, and hard worker. And um, so that, for me, first and foremost, was extremely intriguing for me to come here and be part of that staff. Um, and now being here for three months and seeing – um, how Reed wants this program to be run, um, his, his um, attention to detail on our habits and how we want to win and how we want to create our culture here at, at Dartmouth. Um, I, I couldn't agree more with, with how things are gone so far. So um, for us here at Dartmouth, I mean, everyone's got their buzzwords and everything else. And um, ours are pride, relentless, and, and detail. And um, things we put on our locker room and our uh, things we put on the walls are a lot of teams have them. Uh, but we only put things on there that we're going to use and we're going to talk about and we're going to know. So if you ask our players, they'll be able to find what pride means for Dartmouth hockey, what relentless means and what detail means. Cause we talk about it all the time. And it's something that we're constantly um, using our verbiage and, and things like that. So that's a big part of it for us. And um, we are very, very much focused and people say it all the time about whether you want to call it the process or whatever you want to call it um, of, of the habits over the results. And uh, it's easy to say now when we had our first weekend and we got swept at home, but um, I think in five years when we have this program where we think it can be, we're still going to say the same things because if the habits take care of themselves on a day-to-day basis and during the game, um, usually the results take care of themselves as well. Um, So that's kind of where we're at as a program. Um, we're building that it's, it's new for all of our guys. It's just as new for our seniors as it is for our freshmen. So, 
Uh, we're building that right now and, and our guys are taking steps every day and working extremely hard uh, to get to that point and, and get this program on the, off on the right, the right foot here. But um, as far as what we look for, it's pretty simple. Um, we look for character. We look for competitive kids and we look for high hockey IQ. Um, that's something that, that cash and, and, and Tapper, when I first got here, believed heavily in, and, and so did I. So um, when we're out watching games, it's pretty easy to cross kids off of our list uh, if they don't have those three things, which makes our recruiting process, um, you know, we can kind of pinpoint the guys that we want um, and, and check off all those boxes. So um, I think people say it a lot and teams have a certain identity of what they want to recruit to, um, but it's hard to stick to it because there may be that one guy that, really talented, but maybe he doesn't have the competer, the character. And then you get away from, you know, what you said you wanted to be as a program. And then you get those guys in your program and now you can't play the way you want because you didn't go after the right guys. And so um, character is a massive, massive piece for us. We do our due diligence. We talk to their coaches, their family members, uh, people that know them, their teammates. And so um, that for us is, is a big thing. And when we're out watching, you can kind of tell uh, character and compete, obviously hockey IQ when you're watching, but any bad body language, any stuff like that. I've talked about this before. It's, it's pretty easy to cross guys off your list. If you're ever yelling at a teammate or anything like that, I don't care how good you are. We'll, we'll be able to find a, a different guy that doesn't do that type of stuff. So um, I hope that it's a long-winded answer, but hope that uh, gives you kind of a rundown. Like I said, I'm, I, I'm extremely excited about the future of this program and where we're going to be in a few years. Wow, you nailed it. And so um, I can't think of a better place to, to, to end it than there because uh, you, know, you captured it. You know, we've been down down through your, your background and really appreciate your time. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and uh, wish you and the Big Green and, and success this season, Troy. Um, appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Kirky. I appreciate it. Love seeing you at the rinks now. So see you soon. You bet. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Troy Thibodeau, Dartmouth assistant coach. That is an up-and-coming program with a young up-and-coming assistant coach who has uh, learned a lot and has quite an interesting perspective on things. So, uh, again, we look forward to catching you the next time. We'll see you at the rink. This is Kirk Ludeke for the New England Hockey Journal RinkWise podcast. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.